All right, if you will, take out a Bible with me. Let's go to the Old Testament book of Micah today. The Old Testament book of Micah as we begin a series on this Old Testament prophet. If you're not familiar with the way a Bible is laid out, you can do one of two things. I'd encourage you to get used to finding Micah and where it is in your Bible. Uh, The Old Testament takes up roughly three-fourths of our Bibles, uh, and Micah is toward the end of it in a group of books that we call the prophets. You've got Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah in the, the, the minor prophets as we call them. Uh, but if you're uh, completely flabbergasted by what I just said, you can take the blue Bible on the pew in front of you and turn to page 923. That's where we'll be. The book of Micah as we begin our series on this book. We're going to look at one verse today, and that's the first verse, and we'll get to it here in just a second. As we come to it, uh, it's always been something that I have noticed, and I think you probably have too, that human nature is something that we human beings are always fascinated with and have always been fascinated with. Human nature, the way that human beings interact and react to certain things, sociologists, make a living studying the way human beings react to certain events, and often their findings are quite intriguing. Of particular interest has always been the way that we as human beings react to warnings. Warnings. If the person giving the warning is particularly trustworthy and likable, their warning is usually heeded. But take away one of those two things. If they are not trustworthy or if they are not likable, then their their warning is usually not heeded. The story of the boy who cried wolf teaches us an important lesson on this front. We used to read as children. For instance, how many of us, how many of you, take cover each and every time there's a severe weather alert? Right? How many of us do that every time? Or... Let's consider what I think might be the most ignored warning in all the world, that little message at the outside of the the cookie dough package, consuming raw cookie dough may cause sickness. I mean, that's the most ignored one in the history of the world, is it not? We look at that, we laugh, and we take a bite of that delicious stuff. The CDC, what do they know? Even recently, recently politicians come on the television day after day after day, to tell us about the COVID-19 pandemic. And at first, they had our rapt attention, but soon those appearances became so consistent, we began to tune them out. They became much like the fire and brimstone street preacher at a family festival. just becomes background noise. And then there are those warnings that we do not heed, because if we did, it would mess up the status quo, and we don't like that. In 1986, a very famous one in the country of Russia, a man named Valery Legasov tried to warn the Russian government of an imminent explosion at the Chernobyl nuclear facility and then tried to warn them about how dangerous the aftermath of the explosion was. But heeding those warnings would have meant that a lot of influential men would have had to admit to fatal mistakes and it would have cost a lot of money They did not heed those warnings, and, well, you can read about or watch documentaries on what happened. Today we begin a series on the book of Micah, and the reason that 
I begin by talking about warnings is because the prophets of the Old Testament were often doing just that, warning people of God's coming judgments. Micah was one of these Old Testament prophets. When you start in the Old Testament at the book of Isaiah and you go all the way to the book of Malachi, all of those are what we consider prophets, prophetic books written by God's prophets. They were God's words that he had put into the mouths of these men. These men were essentially God's mouthpieces. They were heralds of a message that he gave them, and most often it was a message of warning. Repent of your sins. Turn from your wicked ways, or God's judgment will come upon you. And I hope you can see how this is not just something for thousands of years ago. This is something, a message, that is very relevant today, especially in 21st century America. Let's read chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Micah, which sets the stage for us as we begin a series on this wonderful book. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, right away there, we need some explanation. Right away, we need some kind of background to orient us as to where we are when Micah is saying these things and God is giving this message to his people. Now, it says in that that verse right there that he was prophesying in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. These are kings that you can read about in the books of 1st and 2nd Kings, all right? But just to set, set a little context in your minds, What's happening right now in the nation of Israel as this book is, is coming to, to fruition, as Micah is prophesying, is if you remember the nation of Israel and King David. King David, in the very beginning of the reign of his son Solomon, that was what we would consider the apex of Israel. Right? That was their prime. That was the, the most prosperous and wonderful time to be an Israelite. David was king. David, he has his problems, we know that from Scripture, but he is a man after God's own heart. By all accounts, he's the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel. His son Solomon becomes king after him. Solomon starts out wonderfully. Solomon starts out asking the Lord for wisdom. If you remember, God appeared to Solomon and said, Solomon, I will give you one wish, essentially. Any wish that you want, what would you ask of me? And I will do it for you. And Solomon says... Lord, I need wisdom to lead this people of yours because I am young and inexperienced. And God says, I love the heart behind that request. I will give you wisdom and I will give you all kinds of other things you never even asked for. And Solomon becomes the wisest and most wealthy man to ever walk the face of the earth. Solomon also builds the temple. King Solomon is the one who builds the temple in Jerusalem, essentially making Jerusalem the center of religious activity on earth, the center of God's presence, because as Solomon built the temple, he did it the way that God told him to do it. And what that meant was God dwelled there. God sent his presence to dwell in the most holy place of the temple. And so the temple became this building that was the center of God's presence on earth from that time until later times when God's presence would leave the temple. But those were the, the, the prime days of the nation of Israel until Solomon fell to women. Solomon, it says, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 
And God says these women let his heart astray, let his heart away from the Lord toward idols and idol worship. And God told Solomon on one day, because you have done this, I am going to rip the kingdom apart. I'm going to rip it in two. And when Solomon's evil son Rehoboam becomes king, that's exactly what happens. The the kingdom gets ripped into two. There's a northern kingdom that they call Israel still and a southern kingdom that they call Judah. The reason this is important for us to set this up is because Micah is prophesying right after that split has happened. Now, these are still days of prosperity in both the northern and southern kingdoms. Days of prosperity. It's kind of like a residual prosperity from the days of David and Solomon. But as we know... Days of prosperity often produce people who forget their need for God. Something that we need to remember in our day. But the reason, the other reason that this is important, this setting is important, is because you see there in verse 1, these are the words of the Lord that Micah saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, if you have read your New Testaments, you'll have an idea of Samaria from Jesus' conversation at the well with the Samaritan woman. You remember that? And we know from that conversation, in that day at least, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. They didn't want anything to do with one another. There were the Jews, God's people, and then there were the Samaritans, the pagans, the, the people that the Jews didn't want anything to do with, and Samaritans didn't want anything to do with them. But that was 700 years after the book of Micah. That was 700 years after Micah lived and prophesied. And so at this point, Samaria is not what it became. In Jesus' day, Samaria is simply the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom had its capital, Jerusalem. The southern kingdom had such an advantage because they had Jerusalem. They had the temple, right? They had the city of God. But the northern kingdom, the capital of it was Samaria. And so this is still a place populated with Israelites at this point in time in history. So I don't want you to see Samaria there and to think back to Jesus' conversation at the woman at the well and think it's just like it was at that point. It's not. At this point, 700 years before that, much different. So this is when Micah is prophesying, all this to kind of set the stage. But I want you to see from verse 1 how God gives his word to Micah. It says, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth. And the application there for us is God gives his word to us today. God gave his word to Micah and God gives his word to us today. He gives it. His word comes to us. We do not have to beg and plead with God to communicate with us. He gives us his word. God is the one who takes the initiative in our relationship. He takes the initiative to communicate with us. Consider for a moment the kindness and the generosity and the graciousness of a God who could stay silent but does not. He graciously communicates with his people and says, I want you to hear from me. I want to give you communication from myself. He could have created us and left us to ourselves, and he doesn't. He takes the initiative to communicate with us. Consider his kindness and generosity, just in that, just in giving us his word. God knows that by ourselves, we do not have the knowledge that we need. Without God's word, we do not have the knowledge that we need. And so he takes the initiative to give it to us in his grace, his mercy, his loving kindness. Now, this has implications 
for how we approach the Bible. It has implications for how we approach the Bible. The Bible is God's word today. God gave Micah his word in a much different way, but God has given us his word in the Bible. We have God's word here. But since he has given it to us, since it has come to us from God, this has implications for how we approach it. First, we do not control the Bible or stand over it. It came to us straight from God himself. And so, Instead of standing over the Bible, instead of controlling the Bible, we submit to it. We sit under it. You might say, we do not use the Bible, we respond to it. These are two fundamentally different ways of approaching the Bible, and yet so many people are in that first category of standing over the Bible or using the Bible. You see, this Bible is not a reference book for you to use as you see fit. No, this Bible is God's word handed down from on high to us, his human beings. And we are to sit under it. We are to submit to it. We are to allow it to do its work on us instead of using it as a tool in our hands for our purposes. We do not stand over it. We respond to it. We reckon with it. You see how fundamentally different that is? than using the Bible for your own purposes. This means we must come to the Bible as God gave it to us. We must come to the Bible as God gave it to us. That means it is not honoring to God to pick and choose which parts of the Bible are important for us and which ones are not. It is not honoring to God to say, yeah, I really like these books in the New Testament, these books here and there, but you know, those books like Micah or Leviticus or Isaiah, just leave them out. I don't need those. I don't need to read those. I don't need to square up with those. Those aren't important for me. Do you see the arrogance? The arrogance of a human being deciding what parts of God's word that they need and what parts of God's word are fine with just ignoring. Micah, this book that we are looking at today, case in point, how many of us are familiar with the book of Micah? This also means it is not honoring to God To come to the Bible and read one verse for the day here, and then tomorrow read another verse for the day somewhere else. The Bible was not meant to be read like that. If our time in God's Word each day is just a verse for the day here, and then the next day a verse for the day somewhere else, we are not receiving God's Word as God gave it to us. We are not receiving what God intended us to receive from God's Word, and we will be missing out on so much in our relationship with the creator of the universe. The Bible was meant to be read book by book. That's how God gave it to us. Now, I am not saying that we need to read the Bible straight from Genesis to Revelation every time we do it. That can be very beneficial. Indeed, I I do it all the time. But when we read the Bible, we do need to read straight through books of the Bible. So, for example, if tomorrow, let's say, you start out with the book of Matthew... I'm actually starting out with the book of Matthew tomorrow. I'm blessed to start the New Testament tomorrow in my daily devotions. So if I start out with the book of Matthew and I read chapters 1 to 2 tomorrow, the very next day I should read chapters 3 to 4 in Matthew and on and on until I finish Matthew. And then the choice is, where do you go, right? But reading a little bit here and a little bit there is not honoring to God because it is not coming to the Bible the way that God gave it to us. We do not sit here and close our eyes and flip through the pages and 
come down on one verse and think, that's my verse for the day. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. That might be a good one for today, right? But let me tell you right now, that is not receiving the message of God as he gave it to us. And that is only one verse lifted up out of its context for that day. Brothers and sisters, we do not decide what we need from God's word. We just come to the Bible and respond to it. This means it does not honor God to come to the Bible with your own predetermined agenda. I diagnose my own problems and then I go find the answers to my own problems in the Bible. The Bible has many answers for our problems. It does. But the issue with that is that you are setting the agenda rather than God setting it. You see what's happening there. I diagnose my own problems. I decide what I need. And then I go to the Bible to get the things that I have already decided that I need from it. Right? I'm here to tell you, if you read through the Bible, you will come across all kinds of things that you needed, but you didn't know you needed. How ridiculously foolish would it be of me to get sick and then to go diagnose myself on Google instead of going to a doctor and letting him tell me what I need to take, right? God knows what we need better than we do ourselves. God knows our hearts better than even we do. And so we come to his word as he has given it because we trust that his word is what we need. His word will change us, but we don't understand fully everything that we need. We can't diagnose our own problems. We're not even capable of doing that. And so as we make our journey to read through the Bible, I pray that that is your goal. I pray that that is something that you're working on. As we make our journey to read little by little every day, to spend a little bit of time with God every single day in his word, let's read it and come to it as he gave it to us. If you have never read through the Bible, I would encourage you to start in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and go right on through until the end of the New Testament, and then go back and start the Old. The reason I recommend it that way is because we're a New Testament people. New Testament really just means New Covenant. We live in the New Covenant, not the Old. And so it can be very beneficial to start with the New and then to go through with the Old, but it's all God's Word. And so we make it our goal as believers to read through the entire Bible, and then when we're finished, we're just going to start again. And we're going to do that for the rest of our lives. It might take us two years or something like that to read through the entire Bible if we're consistent little by little. But once we get done, we just start all over again. We'll do it till the day that we die. Why? Because God knows what we need. We let God's Word work on our hearts as He handed it down to us. The Word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth, and it has come to us. Second, I want you to see from this one verse introducing Micah to us that God uses humble messengers like Micah. God uses humble messengers like Micah. When it says the word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth, if you're a Bible student, you might look at that and be like, What's, where's Moresheth? Who is Micah? And the answer is, we don't really know. And God's not that concerned that we know. Because the messenger is not what's important. It's the message. Micah is a prophet. Again, what is a prophet? Prophets received God's words, and then they were tasked with speaking those words to the people. They were to proclaim God's words faithfully, no matter how the people reacted. 
right? Faithfully proclaim God's words no matter how the people reacted. That's a prophet's job. If you'll notice, you can turn a page over probably in your Bible and Micah chapter 3 verse 8 is one of the rare places where Micah speaks about himself here in this book. Micah chapter 3 verse 8, he says, but as for me, I am filled with power with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. That gives you an idea of what a prophet was all about, right? He was filled with the spirit of God, so he's filled with a power that comes from outside of him that he would not have had by himself. Remember we just sang, yet not I, but Christ through me, right? The spirit lives inside of us as believers. Now, in the Old Testament, The Spirit did not indwell inside believers always, but God would give the Spirit for a purpose, often for a time to someone, for them to do the job that he had asked them to do. So a prophet has the Spirit of God empowering them to speak the words of God, and it's their job to go out and give God's words to the people, whether they're hard words or encouraging words, whether the people hear or refuse to hear. And so that's Micah's job as a prophet. And as you read the Old Testament prophets, the books in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that we would consider prophets, Isaiah to Malachi, as you read those books, you will find that those prophets are constantly alternating between messages of judgment on the one hand and messages of hope on the other. When you read through the prophets, their message from God is going back and forth all the time between messages of judgment and messages of hope. God's coming discipline and then God's future salvation. Here in Micah, you will find some very stern words from God to his people, but you will also find some of the most gentle and compassionate words from God in the whole Bible. In fact, this this book begins with stern words of judgment against sin, and it ends with one of the great messages of forgiveness and hope in the entire Bible. But back to the point that we know very little about Micah. We know very little about him, and that's the point. The point is, the messenger is not what matters. It's the message. The message is what's important. If you were to go to a conference this week on, you know, whatever your topic of choice, work conference, Christian conference, the keynote speakers would be introduced with fanfare and biological details and credentials, right? And they are keynote speakers for a reason. It's because people know them and people care about what they have to say. Micah, on the other hand, is a nobody. Even though he gets an entire book of the Bible, he's essentially a nobody. We don't know anything about him. And God is not particularly concerned with telling us about him. Because the messenger is not the point. It's the message. God loves to use humble messengers who do not draw attention to themselves, but rather get out of the way and point people to God's words. God loves to use humble messengers who do not care about attention for themselves, but rather get out of the way and point people to God's words. Perhaps the greatest example in Scripture we have of this is John the Baptist. In the New Testament, John the Baptist's entire life from, from the womb was to prepare the way for Jesus. That's why he's on the earth. That's why God put him there. And he knows it from the very beginning. The Spirit actually indwelled in him from the womb, which is crazy to think about. But John begins his ministry preaching repentance. 
and baptizing people in the Jordan River, and then Jesus shows up and Jesus points at him and he says, that's the one. That's the one I've been talking about this whole time. That's the one I've been telling you about. That is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as Jesus begins to show up and start his ministry, John's ministry begins to fade. People start leaving John's ministry and going over to Jesus. And at one point, people ask John about this. Aren't you concerned that you have disciples that are leaving you and going to him? And John says, no, I'm not concerned about that at all. That's exactly what I want to happen. John describes himself like the best man at a wedding. And Jesus is the groom. What's the best man's job at the wedding? Is it his job to, to make everybody see him? To make everybody see how, how good he looks and what a great day he's having? No, his job is to make sure the couple gets all the attention, that the couple is highlighted. His job is to make sure that everybody pays attention to them and that their day is great with no complications, and he just gets out of the way and serves. And John says, this is my joy. That's the joy that I have, of pointing people to Christ. He says in John 3.30, he must become greater and I must become less. And brothers and sisters, that needs to be the anthem of our hearts. He must become greater, I must become less. We should be the kind of people that want, when we pass away, for people to forget about us, but because of us, more people love Jesus. Because of us, more people glorify God. A lot of people talk about leaving a legacy. Honestly, I don't give a rip about leaving a legacy. If people forget all about John Davis and they remember Jesus, and more people know Jesus and the glory of God because of my life, and then they forget about me, that's what we want. right? That's what we want. We want him to become greater and us to become less. And so let's live like that. Let's pray for opportunities to be like that. Because God loves to use messengers who do not draw attention to themselves, but get out of the way and point people to his words. Finally, I want you to see from verse 1 here how God reveals himself through his word. And the way that we we catch this here is that it says, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth, and then jump down a little bit, which he, Micah, saw. Micah saw God's word. Now, how do you see words? we, We can see words on the page right here, but it wasn't like that from Micah. God spoke to Micah. How does he see the words? Well, God gave him a vision. It was a vision that he had of the Lord. Micah saw the glory of God as God was giving him his word. He saw God through God's words. The application for us today is this. We see God through the word that he has given us. The way that we see God is through the word that he has given us. That's the way we see him. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 18, and the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 12, John says two identical statements, and that statement is this. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. If you are trying to to get a physical glimpse of God today, let me just relieve you of that burden and say it's not going to happen. No one has ever seen God. First Timothy tells us he dwells in unapproachable light. He is a God whom no one has seen. Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, a God who no one has seen and no one can see. 
You can't see God. When Moses was up on Mount Sinai and asked God, will you please show me your glory? God says, Moses, you can't see my glory and live to tell about it. You'd die if you saw my glory, right? Can't see God. No one can see God. But God has revealed himself to us through his word. And we can see him, not with our physical eyes, but with what Paul says in Ephesians 1, the eyes of our hearts. Your heart has eyes. We can see him with the eyes of our hearts through the word that he has revealed himself in. The last book of the Bible is called Revelation. But it is not unbiblical to call the entire Bible Revelation. This is God's revelation to us of himself. The Bible is where we see God. The Bible is God's primary means of revealing himself to us. If you want to see the glory of God, you can try to see it through creation. And you can even see it through other people as we have been created in the image of God. All human beings, Genesis 1 says, have been created in the image of God. And so you can see God's glory in a way in creation in other people But all of those other means of seeing God are secondary, and they're only partial. You can only see God's glory up to a point. They will never show us the full picture. It's only through the Bible that we can see God with those eyes of our hearts. Because the Bible is God's chosen means of revealing himself to the world. And so we come to Scripture because that is where God has revealed himself to us. The prophets in the Bible, the prophetic books of the Bible actually teach us a great deal about God. If you're thinking this morning, why should I read the Old Testament prophets? Well, my question to you is, do you want to know God? Do you want to know God? Because those books teach us a great deal about who God is, about His character, about His nature. That's the primary benefit, I believe, we receive from reading the prophets in the Old Testament, is knowing God. And knowing God, brothers and sisters... That's what life is all about. You you don't get any higher than that. You don't get any more important than that. Knowing God is what life is all about. In fact, in John 17, 3, Jesus talks about eternal life, and he says something that you wouldn't expect. Jesus says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life. What is it? What's he going to say? What is eternal life? This is going to be really big, whatever he says. This is eternal life that we would know God. That's what eternal life is. Knowing God. One implication of that is eternal life starts now. Eternal life begins here and now. Knowing God is what life is all about. It's the greatest pursuit that we could ever engage in. The most valuable thing that you can acquire in the entire universe is knowledge of God. It's the most valuable thing that you can acquire. And therefore, it's the most important pursuit that we could ever engage in, this pursuit to know God. And so we come to the book of Micah, we come to the other Old Testament prophets because we want to know God. We want to see God with the eyes of our hearts, and this is a wonderful place to do it. We said earlier in this book of Micah that you will hear words of stern judgment and words of gentle compassion, hope, and forgiveness, right? You hear both of those in the prophets. You'll hear both of those in the book of Micah. Well, this this dual nature of God, this dual expression of God, it shows us God's character. It shows us who God is. When we see these 
stern words of judgment and coupled with, right alongside, the words of gentle compassion and hope and forgiveness. Romans chapter 11 verse 22 says this, Note then the kindness and severity of God. Think about that. Paul stops and says, Note the kindness and the severity of God. Note how both of these are true of God. Not just one of them, right? We're not just going to say that God is all kindness, all love, and nothing else. And on the other hand, we're not just going to say that God is all wrath, all severity. No, both are true. You're coming to a God who is both. He's not going to fit into your little box. Let God show you who he is, and you will be surprised in many ways. Note the kindness and the severity of God. That's a great word for us as we come to read the Old Testament prophets, as we come to start this book of Micah. It's kind of a theme we're going to follow. Note the kindness and the severity of God. He is both, and we have to reckon with both of those. Ultimately, this dual nature of God, both the kindness and the severity, both the love and the wrath, ultimately this points us to the greatest display of that dual nature we've ever seen, which is the cross. The cross is the most glorious display of God's simultaneous kindness and severity. Because at the cross, he pours out his wrath on sin. He pours it out in full measure on sin. And yet, he does it in such a way that allows him to forgive sinners without compromising his justice. How does that happen? It's because the wrath that he pours out for sin gets poured out onto his son. Gets poured out onto Christ. Jesus takes the wrath of God for sinners on the cross. The full force of the wrath of God. And it destroys him. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10 says it was God's will to crush him. It was God's will to crush his only son. How could that be? How could a father do that? It's a love that most of us cannot even comprehend. A love that would pour out your own wrath on your own undeserving son so that undeserving sinners could receive undeserved forgiveness. Note the kindness and severity of God. He's both, and it's glorious. It's gloriously true. Consider the graciousness of a God who reveals himself to his creatures. It's what God is doing in his word. Consider the graciousness of a God who reveals himself. He could have created us and left us to do whatever we wanted. He could have created us and left us alone And yet consider a God who time and time again throughout the story of Scripture is revealing himself, is making a way for people to be with him, even though they constantly keep screwing it up. He keeps making a way for people to be with him. He keeps revealing himself to his people. He keeps showing up. He keeps saying, here I am. Come and receive me. Come and have more of me. I know that's what your heart needs. I'm giving it to you. Consider the kindness and the graciousness of a God who reveals himself to us in his word. That's where we'll end today. 
here in just a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer. We do a silent time of prayer each week after the sermon so that every single one of us can respond to God's Word. We'll have a time of public response here in just a moment, but this, this time of prayer is because it's not just the people who walk the aisle that need to respond to God's Word. It's all of us. We all need to respond to God's Word. We said earlier, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. He spoke. Now we speak back. What do you have to say to God after what he just said to us? So let's pray together for a few moments here, and then we'll come back together and have our invitation time where those who need to respond publicly can do so.